you know what? It's really fun to be here. Y'all know that theme music. What's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 61 of the Banner Banter Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. How are we doing? What's going on? How was your weekend? You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. You can also always email me as well at Banner Banter Podcast at gmail.com. Happy early holidays. Happy Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, etc., etc. I'm not a big holiday person, bah humbug, but if the Celtics are going to keep winning like this, I am all about the holiday season. 1,000% absolutely, because the Celtics are currently 20-7. and They went 3-0 and this week, just like I was hoping slash predicting in episode 60. They beat the Mavs 109-103. They beat the Pistons 119, I'm sorry, 114-93. And then they beat the Charlotte Hornets 119 to 93 as well, which is pretty great that they only allowed 93 points in back-to-back games. Very, very impressive. Currently, they are in first place in the Atlantic Division, tied with the Toronto Raptors, and I'm going to explain to you why these upcoming games against the Toronto Raptors are vital to the upcoming possible playoff seedings that we can talk about. It's never too early to talk about the playoffs, and overall, they are second they're in second place in the Eastern Conference. They're five games behind of the Milwaukee Bucks, who are just playing at a ridiculously high level. Giannis is starting to hit three-pointers, so the rest of the NBA is basically screwed. And the Eastern Conference is so tight right now. The Celtics are only a game up on the fifth seed, which is the Philadelphia 76ers. And there was some pretty tough news if you're a 76ers fan that came out. Mattis Thibel is going to be out for a couple weeks due to a, a sore knee or an, an issue with his knee. so And he's a huge, huge piece to their bench. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they um, play with without one of their best defenders and with one of their best pieces off the bench. But before we get into the Mavs game and the Pistons game and the Hornets game and previewing this upcoming week of Boston Celtics basketball... Let's give a huge shout-out to Kevin Garnett, who was officially announced as a 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame nominee. Obviously, he should be going in as a Minnesota Timberwolf. He was the probably the best player of all time for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Everyone loved Kevin Garnett when he, when he was on the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then everyone hated him when he went to the Celtics. I love Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett, watching him play for what four or five years for the Celtics was absolutely incredible. I fully believe, and share maybe I'm being biased, but if he didn't get hurt in 2009, 2010, they would have won back-to-back NBA championships, so you can't tell me differently. But my whole thing is with Kevin Garnett, as much as I love him, and as important as he was to this basketball team, and as much as he kind of annoyed me during the whole Ray Allen thing, if Kevin Garnett's number is getting retired, Ray Allen's number should too. I've always said that from day one. The Boston Celtics do not get Kevin Garnett if it wasn't for Ray Allen. That is a fact. But either way, Kevin Garnett, one of the best power forwards of all time, probably top three best power forwards of all time. He deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going in most likely with Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, which just screams my childhood. So congratulations to Kevin Garnett. Really happy for him. Well-deserved. I've always wanted to meet him. I feel like he'd be a good dude to meet, you know? But anyways, moving on. Let's let's give you an update about the hospital Celtics. That's right. That's basically what they should be called lately. Only, you know, last week the Celtics had five days off. And I previewed the 
the three games, not knowing that Gordon Hayward was going to be out, not knowing that Marcus Smart was going to be out, not knowing that Vincent was going to be hurt, et cetera, et cetera. So as of Sunday afternoon, Robert Williams will probably be out for another two weeks with his hip situation. Vincent Poe, who is calling himself Sexy Finger, which I'm going to keep this PG because I know some kids are listening to the show. But anyways, he's calling himself Sexy Finger, and he's out for another five weeks. So we're not going to see those two guys Uh, two of our big men for a really, really long time. And then you have Marcus Smart. And all this news I'm hearing about Marcus Smart is basically he's going to die. He's blind. Like, I don't understand it. Brad Stevens said doctors haven't seen an eye infection this bad before. And he was able to go to the practice facility on Sunday night just to get a couple shots up. But it's like, why? Why even bring him anywhere near the facility? I I don't want another eye infection. I Listen, I hate eyes. I absolutely hate eyes with every single ounce of my body. Like, I could watch a horror movie and see someone's head get cut off and be perfectly content. But if I see someone, like, trying to touch someone's eye, I'm like, yeah, no. I I absolutely hate it. But who knows when Marcus Martin is going to play. He's been out for, like, three weeks with an eye infection. Like, what did he do? Did he, like, jump in a pile of horse shit with his eyes wide open? Like, I don't understand how bad this eye infection is. Like, I really think Marcus Smart is going to go blind or he lost an eye or something. It is terrifying. It is worrisome. It is crazy. But who knows? Hopefully, he can be back by the start of January. Then the fact that I have to say that because of someone's eye. Marcus Smart might be out for as long as Gordon Hayward was with his broken hand, but over an eye infection. Like, the poor guy. I feel bad for him. And we all know Marcus Martin is a tough son of a bitch, right? And for him to be out this long for an eye infection is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Then we have Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward surprisingly showed up in the injury report right before the Dallas Mavericks games with a sore left foot. And Brad Stevens said it was something that kind of bothered him even before he broke his hand, which is absolutely terrifying. And... What's crazy to me is he took a cortisone shot, and it basically seems like the cortisone shot just didn't work properly, and it's affecting his foot. And he didn't play at all last week. So basically, Gordon Hayward has only played in, what, two games? No. Yeah, three games since he's come back from his broken hand. He played in the Cavs game, the Pacers game, and the Philadelphia 76ers games two weeks ago. And that's it. That's it. And it's crazy because, like, is he going to be able to play for Christmas? Is he going to take all of this week off too and then come back? Because, you know, the first, like, eight games going into the new year, Hornets, Hawks, Bulls, Wizards, Spurs, Pelicans, Philadelphia 76ers, only one of those teams has a winning record. So are they going to take their time easily, bring him back into the lineup, which is fine. You know, whatever, but this kid, what, I don't understand how Gordon Hayward could only miss more. I don't think Gordon Hayward missed more than 10 games total in one season when he was in Utah. And now that he's playing for the Celtics, he misses 112 every single, every single season. It's bananas, and it's absolutely crazy. But the hospital Celtics hopefully will be getting healthy by the All-Star break. Which is crazy. If you actually think about it, I don't think this team has been fully healthy for more than like five games. And that's horrifying, but also very satisfying that they can still be 20 and 7, second place in the Eastern Conference with all their injury issues. It's absolutely crazy. Let's recap the Mavs game, and then the Pistons game, and then the Hornets games. And then we'll talk about your stud and dud of the week, and we'll do some canter banter, etc., etc. Let's start off with, the, like I just said, the Dallas Mavericks game. Kemba Walker came out guns ablaze, and he had 16 points in the first quarter. And then he was impossible to be found. I mean, no one knew where he was, because I think he only scored like two or three points in the second and third quarter total, but... He scored 13 points in the fourth quarter, and it looks like he finished with a really, really good game. So if you're just looking at the box score, you're like, oh, wow, over 28, 29 points? That's a great game for Kemba. Yeah, but he was really good in the first quarter, really good in the fourth quarter, nowhere to be seen in the second and third. And that's what I keep talking about with Kemba. He's had a couple 
full complete games where you know he sprinkles in 10 sprinkles in five sprinkles in eight sprinkles in 10 and you're like wow great game for Kemba, like 32 33 points he contributed every single quarter which is great to see but the good part about it is it really shows even though i complain about it the good part about it is it really shows that this team can rely on kemba you know he can literally disappear and then come back when when he's needed and that's obviously very very important so if Jalen and Jason or Gordon and Marcus are doing their thing. And then Kemba's like, all right, guys, it's my time. We know that we can rely on Kemba. And I think that is great. I would just like to see more production in the middle. You know, like that Zed song. Sorry, that was a bad joke. But anyways, Kemba Walker, great game for the Boston Celtics. And the way that the Celtics closed the second quarter was awesome. And to be honest with you, it could have been the reason why they won this game. I mean, the Mavs were up. 10 with about two minutes to go. Then the Celtics went on an 8-0 run to cut it down to two. And then it was, they were only down five at half. And that 8-0 run was vital because if they didn't get go on that 8-0 run, next thing you know, maybe you're down nine, 10 points at, at halftime. That's tough to come out of the gun in the third quarter and really produce, if you will. But because they won by six, they played one point better than the Mavs did in the second half, and that was the key to the game. So I really think that 8-0 run by the Celtics with about two minutes to go in the second half was huge because the third quarter, they were going back and forth, and then with about 11 minutes to go, the Celtics went on an awesome 19-7 run. Kemba scored seven points. Tatum scored six points. One of the Tatum plays was a classic Brad Stevens ATO, and an ATO means after a timeout. Brad Stevens drew up a great play for Jason Tatum to catch the ball off of a curl, put the ball down in his left hand, and he went in for a dunk and won. Great play. Huge momentum swing, I thought. And then there was no looking back for the Boston Celtics. Until, like, the final last minute of the game where Jalen Brown was really just not thinking. He, honest to God's truth, thought the game was over, but they still had a minute to play left in the game. He made a really lazy inbounds pass, which led to a turnover for a three-pointer, and then he didn't close out properly on the guy he was defending when the Mavs got the ball back, and they let that guy hit a three-pointer, and then next thing you know, they cut the lead down to like five when it should have been like 11 or 12, but even though I was very angry for Jalen Brown for that terrible like brain fart for 60 seconds, he did go eight for eight from the free throw line. And I think we can all agree that is not something that happens a lot with Jalen Brown. So what comes with the bad, you also get some good, you know, double-edged sword with Jalen Brown. And, and that's okay. You know, lately he's been playing really well, but having a lot of stupid fouls in this game, he had some terrible judgment, but he made all of his three throws. So shout out to that. The good thing that I've really been noticing lately, and I think we've all been noticing lately, like you don't have to listen to this podcast, you don't have to be a hardcore Celtics fan, is this team is tough to beat when Jason, Jalen, and Kemba combined for more than 80 points. It is absolutely crazy to think that those three guys in this Mavs game combined for 82 points and Gordon Hayward and Marcus Smart didn't play and those guys will be your fourth or fifth scoring options, I think is a great problem to have. Part of me is a little nervous that Gordon and Marcus Smart are going to come in and kind of maybe mess up the flow that Jalen and Jason and Kemba put on last week and for some part the the week before. I'm I'm like kind of... Nervous about it. From the Mavs side, I knew KP6, Christos Porzingis, was going to have a, a huge, huge game. Cantor and Tice couldn't control him at all. He's such an athletic guy when he wants to be. And when he can, when he cares, he can really, really be good. And you, and you could see that, <clears throat> I think, what, two nights after the Mavs played the Philadelphia 76ers, they went into Philly and beat them without Luka, and KP6 was fantastic. Jalen Brunson was pretty good for the Mavs in this Celtics game, or in the game against the Celtics. He had a career-high 11 assists, and then he became the Celtics' best player with two atrocious two uh, turnovers late in the game, which was crazy, crazy, crazy to see. Anyways, um, what, what else did I want to talk about about the Mavs game? Oh, the defense. The defense really wasn't that great for the Celtics. The Mavs hit, missed a lot of open shots. And I talked about this in episode 60 that the 
Mavs are a better road team than they are a home team. And man, did it show because some of those open shots that they were missing in this game that the Celtics allowed them to take were shots that you expect a team to miss on the road, not at home, which is very, very interesting. But even though I was very upset with the defense and Brad Stevens was very upset with the defense, I'm really happy with how the Celtics have adjusted to all these weird adjustments that they've had to make this season with all the injuries, with all the hospital Celtics stuff going on. I mean, Tatum and Hayward usually play a lot with the bench guys. Kemba and Jalen usually play together as well, but Brad is really mixing that up. Jalen's adjusting well. Jason's adjusting well. You know, Brad Wanamaker, you could say maybe his production's gone down, but that's okay because they're still winning basketball games. Oh, yes, and one less one less thing, <laughs> one last thing about this Mavs game before we move on to recapping the Pistons game. Josh Jackson, he played for the University of North Carolina, and I'm a Duke basketball fan, and watching him play terrible, terrible basketball is beyond satisfying. So, Detroit Pistons come into town, and guess what? They, they have their own little case of the injury bug as well they had no Reggie Jackson they had no Luke Kennard and no Blake Griffin so you're like okay great we can actually kind of match up against a team that has the same amount of injuries as we do so that's that's great to see and guess what happened fire and ice took full control of that situation and for those that maybe are tuning in to the Banner Branch podcast for the first time. Fire and Ice are Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Which one's which? I don't know. I'm going to assume that Ice is Jason Tatum and Fire is Jalen Brown. But either or, both of them had identical stat lines, which is crazy. They both had 26 points, they both had five rebounds, and they combined for five steals and eight assists. Huh. Oh boy. Got a parquet in my pants there just thinking about those two dropping over 25 and 5 a night. Are you kidding me? Jalen Brown, speaking about things that are, are you kidding me, had an incredible 92 seconds. Like the last 92 seconds of the second quarter was insane. He hit a three off a catch and shoot. Then he stole the inbounds pass and hit another three. And then like 80 seconds later, he... Then hit a three, got fouled, and won, and he scored 10 points in 92 seconds. It was awesome. The it was, I think it was like one of the reasons why the Pistons were like, you know what, screw this game. We're good. We're all set. Because after that, there was no looking back. It was kind of competitive in the first quarter. The, the Pistons hung on a little bit, but man, that, that sequence by Jalen Brown was awesome. Things that weren't awesome in this game, Kemba Walker. Oh, what a bad game he played. Kemba's played a couple really bad games this year, folks. But this one, good golly, Miss Molly. But as angry as you can be at Kemba playing so poorly because, you know, you don't want to see that happening in an important game or a playoff game, it is really great to see Jalen and Jason stepping up and Kemba not trying to force his shot and just keeping those two involved and knowing that he can trust them, that they will will that will the entire team to victory. So I really, really enjoyed that. Kemba had a classic triple single in the first half. You don't see a lot of triple singles in the fir- in the first half of uh, basketball anymore by all-star caliber caliber players in the NBA. One point, one board, one assist. <laughs> good stuff by Kemba. He ended up with 11 assists, which is great because that just shows he was like, hey guys, not my night. Dishes it off, blah, 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 blah. And, but he had seven turnovers. Not, not really great. One of the things that, about Kemba that I get a little frustrated with, and maybe I'm the only one because I'm strict, but fair, you know, with my analysis, I believe I'm, I'm strict, but I'm fair. The issue with Kemba is he gets so low to the ground and he's already so short as is. When he drives to the basket and there's a seven-foot guy like putting his hands up and he realizes, fuck, I can't lay this in and they're definitely not going to give me a foul call. He just makes some really tough and poor decisions. He jumps in the air tries to throw it out to someone. Sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. And you can see why with those seven turnovers. So really, that that part scares me. You know, if you were to play the Philadelphia 76ers and he drives down the basket to the basket and you have Al Horford and 
Joel Embiid just standing there, the Philadelphia 76ers defense is going to be good enough where if he tries to skip it out, like jumping in the air, they're going to steal that ball and it's another turnover and they're going to go down the court and score. That's like my one little mm, thing that I don't like about Kemba Walker. But with that being said, we talked about the piss poor Celtics defense against the Mavs. You can say the Celtics defense played much better in this game. You could say maybe the Pistons were lazy. You could say maybe the Pistons were sloppy. It could also be both. And I'm going to go with the Pistons were lazy and sloppy. And the Celtics played some pretty good defense. They forced the Pistons to have 25 turnovers. The Pistons actually had more turnovers than they did assists. So to me, Pistons kind of suck. But the Celtics defense was also good enough as well. I was really happy with how the bench played, not only in this game, but also in the Hornets game. We'll talk about that in a bit. And I I completely understand it's the Detroit Pistons, but hey, a win's a win. Ennis Cantor, 18 rebounds in this game. He had 13 against the Mavs. And he had another 13 rebounds against the Charlotte Hornets. He out-rebounded um, Draymond Green. He out-rebounded Andre Drummond in this game. In less minutes. That's incredible. And so incredible, we're about to have our longest, that's right, say with me folks, our longest canter banter of the season. Hit the music. I'm so excited. He's a man who loves to get a double-double, but when it comes to the Turkish government, he's in a lot of trouble. It's time for canter banter, baby. Wow! Forty-four seconds of canter banter. What a way to start off your holiday week. Am I right? Who else played well in this um, Pistons game? Yes, we're talking about the Pistons game. Brad Wanamaker has been very reliable as of late, and he had another good game here. Javante Green definitely showed some flashes, and Grant Williams 1,000% had his best game as a member of the Boston Celtics, and I will talk about that in a little bit. Wink, wink nudge nudge you could say a lot of good things happened in this game but it was also pretty ugly at times i thought the celtics were very sloppy that we talked about how sloppy the pistons were and the celtics had 20 turnovers the teams combined for 45 turnovers which is terrible the celtics were able to get 30 points off of detroit turnovers so that's great that the celtics were forcing turnovers and then capitalizing off of that so that part i did enjoy you could sense the celtics still had some rust from like that long layoff i mean they only they had a 14 point lead in the second quarter the pistons cut it down to six and then they were able to get it up to double digits going into the first half which i thought was perfectly fine i've i've this game i've never seen i've made a note of it i've never seen more passes land up in the stands like one of the very first plays of the game some dude got doinked right off the head from a pass i think it was from derrick rose completely missed his teammate and this dude he was like five rows up just right off the top of the dome piece just boom it was oh man it was crazy and there were some really bad passes in this game by both teams it was a it was an ugly game but hey a win is a win they did everything they were supposed to do. They out-rebounded him. They controlled Andre Drummond for a majority of the game. Drummond kind of started going in the second half, but they controlled him, and I thought that was very good. Cantor played great defense against him. Cantor's been, like, these last, like, two or three weeks, folks, Cantor's been producing at a a higher level than he was in October and November. So I think that's a, a great sign to see, and hopefully once the game slows down, like I've been preaching all season, Everyone's going to really be thankful that the Celtics signed Ennis Cantor. Thankful in the way of, hey, he's producing, not like thankful, like, oh my God, he's going to, you know, make or break a game for the Celtics in the playoffs. And then there's one other thing that I have to talk about about the Pistons game. What is it? Is it Brad? Nope. Is it Kemba? I already talked about him. Is it Tatum? 
already talked about him. Brown talked about him. Gordon Smart didn't play. Oh, yes, Taco Fall played. And, yes, Taco Fall made the garden light up like a freaking Christmas tree. It was like a playoff atmosphere. And I got to give Taco some credit. Taco, here's my thing, folks. I've said this from day one. I don't like to talk about Taco a lot because Taco isn't going to be on this team and he's not going to really help this team produce in the playoffs to get to Banner 18. Sure, if the Celtics do win, he'll get a ring. But is he going to be the reason why they get there? Absolutely the F not. He was the only player in this game. The Celtics won by over 20 points and he was the only player in this game that was in the negative. Everyone else that played was in the positive. But I will say this. When everyone started chanting, we want Taco, blah, 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 all these stupid chants that we start hearing because now it's slowly becoming a sideshow and it's getting kind of annoying. But with that being said, him faking to get called into the game and then sitting back down afterwards was absolutely, positively one of the funniest things I've seen at a Celtics game in a really really long time. Everyone was like, yo, I was dying. So shout out to you, Taco Fall, for having a great sense of humor. Absolutely. So, so, so funny. Good, good stuff. Listen, I'm happy for Taco. He's improved 1000%. You look at him in the summer league out in Las Vegas, and you look at him now, he's improved. But He's just not going to contribute, and I understand it is incredible to watch. I brought my mother to the Charlotte Hornets games, and she knew that the Celtics had a really good guy, a really tall guy. She had no idea it was like that crazy, and she fell in love with him. It's hard not to like Taco. I'm just trying to look at it from a basketball perspective, and he's not going to make or break the Celtics' playoff hopes, dreams, passions, etc., etc. So I'm glad Taco came in. It was nice to see him. He actually scored more points than Kemba. So for all you Taco stands out there, you can you can always do that. You can say, hey, the Celtics are 1-0 when Taco scores more points than Kemba Walker. So you guys can always hold on to that 1,000%. So, But end of the day, what Taco did was so funny, and I have to give him so much respect for it. Now let's recap the Hornets game, the final game of the week to make the Celtics go 3-0 and in one week, which is great to see. Terry Rozier didn't get a tribute video. Let's just start right there, and I loved it. He got a nice ovation when he got introduced in the starting lineup. He was the last one to get introduced. Round of applause from a bunch of people, and he had an okay game. It made me, once again, just prove my point that no one's going to miss Terry Rozier. He had a nice time here. I'll never forget how poorly you shot in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Cavs at home. Romeo Langford, Guys, you guys know I hated that draft pick in every single way, shape, or form. I still do hate that draft pick in every single way, shape, or form. But last night, he played good basketball. The kid can play basketball. Do I think he was worth the 14th overall pick in the NBA draft? Absolutely the F not. But here's the thing. If Gordon Hayward was on the court, Romeo Langford wasn't playing. Romeo Langford had an opportunity to step up, and he showed some flashes, 1,000%. He is a good defender. I always knew he was a good defender because he is so lengthy. He hit two wide-open three-pointers, and everyone's calling him a sharpshooter. Congratulations. That is what you're supposed to do in the NBA if you have wide open three-pointers. He did have a nice take to the basket. I am not upset with the game Romeo Langford had. I am going to be upset with everyone starting to freak out, saying that he's going to be able to produce. He's going to be our bench scorer. It's going to be great. He's exactly what this bench needs. No, 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 no. The kid has one good game. One good game, and everyone's starting to freak out. And that's what I hate about Celtics fans sometimes is the kid had a nice game. He is still so far away. I hope he proves me wrong. I really and truly do because that means the Celtics are only going to be better because that means if you select someone in the lottery, it's going to be great. And I understand the argument. They didn't get Brandon Clark. They didn't get Matt Thibel. They missed out on a lot of good players before him, just like they drafted Kelly Olynyk before they drafted Giannis Antetokounmpo. Jesus, I just sounded like Shaq right there. But I didn't like the pick. You shouldn't like the pick. I don't care if he's injury-prone or not. 
like going in, like no one knew that he was going to sprain his ankle every five times. And that's why Tommy Heinsohn said a great quote during the game. My buddy Drew texted me because my buddy Drew knows how much I dislike the Romeo Langford pick. I don't like Rom- dislike Romeo Langford the person. I saw him at the Prudential Center one time, took a selfie with me. Seems like a nice kid. I just don't think the Celtics should have taken him. But <laughs> Tommy's like, I don't know anything about this kid. He get he, Every single time he touches the floor, he, like, rolls his ankle. I don't know the exact quote, but, hey, congratulations to you, Romeo Langford. Good for you. Can you do that again? Can you do that when the Charlotte Hornets basically said, let this kid shoot. Let, let him beat us. And he played, a, he played a good game. So props to him, but I'm still not happy with the draft pick. There were so many better players that, that could have contributed more and more often than Romeo Langford has so far this year. Who knows? Maybe he'll prove me wrong. I hope so, because that means the Celtics are only going to get better. But overall, I just don't believe after one game, we should all be bowing down to Romeo Langford. Trust me. The people that we should be bowing down to is Jason Tatum. Good golly, Miss Molly. What a great basketball game by him. He scored a career high, 39 points. His previous career high was, I think, in Brooklyn last year. He had 34 points. He was... 6 of 16 in quarters 1, 2, and 3. He scored 17 points. And then the fourth quarter, he went 9 of 13 and dropped 22 points. I was kind of pissed that like Brad didn't keep him in longer to get 40. But what was something that I had complained about the last couple weeks with Brad Stevens? Probably right around the Clippers game, which was like what, the a week before uh, Thanksgiving. So yeah, it's almost been like a full month that I've been complaining that Brad Stevens doesn't keep the hot hand out there and it's kind of annoying, but guess what? Brad kept him in and it was great and it showed. 9 of 13, 22 points in the fourth quarter, 12 boards overall, three steals. Jason Tatum's defense, folks, this year has been so, so, so good. It, His length, the way he puts his hands up in passing lanes... I mean, you, you check out, you know, some of his games so far in December. Two steals, one steal, one steal, two, two, two. It, it's it been great. He had three blocks in this game. I'm sorry. I said he had three steals. He had three blocks in this game, one steal. His defense has been so good, and it's great. He's he's realizing how other teams are playing. He must be setting the tape more, which is awesome to see. Celtics first quarter defense. Oh, my God. Actually, let me go back to Tatum. What Tatum did in this game was, if this is the Jason Tatum that we're going to see more often, then where is my all-star ballot? By the way, all-star voting starts on Christmas Day, where the Celtics play at 12 o'clock. So when the Celtics start playing, you can log in, maybe during the first time out, and vote for Jalen and Kemba and Jason Tatum to all make the all-star team. Now, will Tatum and Brown make the all-star team based on votes? Nope. But they should be selected by the coaches, 1,000%. No questions asked. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Anyways, Jason Tatum, great game. 39 points, 12 rebounds, 3 blocks, 1 steal, 2 assists, shot 51% from the field. But I have some bad news about Jason Tatum, and I'll talk about that in a second. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But Celtics' first quarter defense in this game was atrocious, especially their three-point defense, which we've talked about, has improved ever since their horrible week of Thanksgiving three-point defense. The Charlotte Hornets went 7-10 from three in the first quarter. Devontae Green, who should be the NBA MIP. I understand you could say that Jalen Brown's improved a great deal, but Devontae Green should be the most improved player for the NBA this year. No questions asked. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. This kid hit five threes in the first quarter. He was lights out. He had a double-double for him. He had double-digit assists. He had over 20 points. It was a very impressive game by Devontae Green, which I talked about in episode 60 where, like, he's been playing really well. you got to lock him down, and the Celtics did not do that in the first quarter. Then the Celtics decided to buckle down on on their three-point defense, and then the Hornets went 3 of 24 in quarters 2, 3, and 4 of this game from the three-point line. So shout-out to the defense in, in plain English and the adjustments that Brad made, they really did a good job. They contested a lot of shots. They were flying at a lot of shots, which was great to see. What also was great to see is the fact that this Celtics bench outscored the Hornets bench. I know it's nothing impressive, but the fact that the bench was productive is great. 
the Celtics had more second chance points, which is very promising to see. They had 10 offensive rebounds. They only allowed the Hornets to have two offensive rebounds. Again, great to see. Folks, another thing that made me really, 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 like, really, really, like, really, really happy, Jalen Brown. He had five assists. That's right. In the last, I think it's three games. Let me double check here. Okay. In four out of the last five games, Jalen Brown has had five. I'm sorry. Three out of the last five games, Jalen Brown has had five assists or more. (laughs) I'm telling you my prediction. Jalen Brown is going to average five assists a game. Pacers last week or two weeks ago, eight assists against the 76ers. He only had two, but he was terrible in that game. The Mavs game, he dropped 26, but he had zero assists, but he had nine boards. And then the Pistons game, five assists. Hornets game, five assists. I love it. Give me Jalen Brown getting people involved. I need that like I need air. I love it. But it was a quiet game for Jalen, but it was a very productive game from Jalen. Brad Wanamaker. The way he controlled the offense in the second half, I thought was great. He got everyone involved. He had eight assists, and he had zero turnovers. Zero turnovers. He made sure Jason Tatum got the ball because he knew he was hot, and that is what a true point guard does. He realizes what the offense has to do to get the best player involved, and I thought Brad Wanamaker was great. Um, this is... I'm trying to say this the right way. I mean, I... Uh, I was a little disappointed that the the game wasn't over to start the fourth quarter. This game should have been over to start of the fourth quarter. But the Celtics went on a really good run to start. I think they went on like a 21-9 run or 21-7 run to start the fourth quarter. And the Hornets couldn't catch up after that. But it's just one of those games where they let a team hang around and then they were finally stepping, stepping on their throats. And I just wanted them to step on their throats a lot sooner, a lot harder, and a lot quicker. So you didn't have to, like, really worry about the game. I mean, if the Hornets, like, stuck around. They're still only down, like, six points. And the way they were shooting the ball in the first quarter, you feel like, okay, they're eventually going to hit some more threes. And I know I, like, kind of paused there a, a few seconds ago, but it is a little disappointing. It It is a little scary that these teams, they let people stick around. Like, they let the Pistons stick around in the first half of their game. They let the Mavs stick around in, you know, the start of the fourth quarter in their game earlier this week against Mavs as well. And then the Piston, I mean, uh, the Hornets game, they kind of hung around too. I need these guys to make it. Sh- I had no doubt the Celtics were going to beat the Hornets. You know, they were going to win. But, like, how about a little stress, a little less stress? That'd, that'd be really, really great. You know? Speaking about people who are giving me less stress, let's talk about the stud and dud of the week. Hit the music. And now it is time. For the Celtics stud and the Celtics dud of the week. Okay, this week's Celtics stud and dud of the week is going to be baffling. It's going to be confusing because I don't even know if I believe what I'm saying. But the stud of the week is Grant Williams. Grant Williams, in his last nine three-point attempts, have made five of them. He has made five out of the last nine three-pointers after missing his first, what, 25 as a pro? So now he's like five of 34 overall, which is still terrible, but it's improving. It's getting better. Hands down, he was the best defensive player on the floor in the Mavs game. The way he could switch late in the game off of Powell or on to KP6 or on a Tim Hardaway Jr. Sometimes there were times where he had to switch to guard Jalen Brunson, stayed in front of him, was great. Pistons game, he came in, dropped a career-high 18 points at an 8-10 shooting. He made two threes all year going into this game, and then he made two more in the Pistons game, which is great. I thought he was very physical against a very physical Pistons team. I thought he did a pretty good job against Andre Drummond. And I really and truly think that the team needed it. He played pretty well against the <clears throat> Charlotte Hornets. He was a plus 23. He had 12 points, four boards, five or six shooting from the field. Just a really nice week for Grant Williams. And I'm really happy to see him improve, getting some confidence. And that's exactly what he needs. I mean... He was a plus 23, which led the team. 
Grant Williams, very, very impressive. So he is your stud this week. Your dud this week is Jason Tatum, but it's not Jason Tatum. It's Jason Tatum's shot selection. Jason Tatum had himself a week. He scored over 20 points in like all the games this week. He was good. But some of his shot selections is slowly going back to last year. A lot of dribble, 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 shoot. When it goes in, it is sexy. See the Hornets game where he dropped 39 points. It is delicious. It is delightful. It is fantastic. But when it doesn't, oh my God, it is so annoying. I mean, he went 4 of 17 against the Mavs and the Pistons combined. That's not going to help this team go very far. And sure, he went 4 of 9 from 3 against the Hornets, but... He needed 29 field goal attempts to score 39 points. He also had five three-throw shots. So you could technically say he had to shoot the ball 34 times to score 39 points. It's a little tough. It's really not ideal. But, hey, the kid dropped 39 points. All I'm saying is I just don't want Jason Tatum to get too cocky where he can go back to the game that he had last year, which we all really weren't a fan of. If it goes in, it's great. We're not going to think twice about it. Like, oh my God, yeah, he's so confident. He's so great. But he's had some really bad shooting nights this year. I'm still a little nervous about how he can finish at the rim. So Jason Tatum overall, like his rebounding has been great. He had a great, oh my God, fourth quarter pass. Shemi Ojale was cutting back door. His Tatum's back was to the basket. He saw it. It was a sick no-look dish. I think Tatum's game is evolving. Overall, his rebounding, very good. His defense has been fantastic. He's seeing the ball or the floor better to get the ball to guys who are open. All that. I am just nervous about his shot selection if he decides to get a little too cocky. If he does get too cocky and it all goes in, I'll shut right up. So I'm just being strict, but I'm just being fair. Take the better shot, not the sexy shot, Jason Tatum. That's all I'm saying. So that's your stud and dud of the week. Your stud... Grant Williams, your dud being Jason Tatum. Okay, so now that the sudden dud is over, we've done canter banter. We've recapped all three games from last week. Let's talk about the three games coming up this week because they're super important. Very, very important. The Celtics have an opportunity to go 3 0 this week again, and I fully believe that. I really and truly do. The Celtics played the Toronto Raptors twice this week. The Toronto Raptors yesterday. We're down 30 points at home against the Dallas Mavericks. Came back and won the game. Kyle Lowry was banana land. He's on my fantasy team. Oh, man, what a great game for him. 32 points, 8 assists, etc., etc. These two games, I'm going to explain to you in a second why they're so crucial. But the first time that they play, 12 p.m. on Christmas in Toronto, and then 7 p.m. at the Garden on Saturday night. The Saturday night is the second night of a back-to-back, but it's at home, so that's a good thing. These two games are ginormous. Absolutely ginormous. If the Celtics win both of these games, the Celtics will win the season series against the Toronto Raptors. And if the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics have the same record coming into the playoffs, that could be the difference between the two and the three seed, the three and the four seed, etc., etc. So if the Celtics finish, let's say, fourth overall, and the Raptors finish third overall, but they have the same exact record, guess who has technically the three seed? The Boston Celtics, because the first thing that they do is head-to-head matchup. So getting that three seed is better than getting that four seed, 1,000%, right? Right, super-duper. So win these two games, win this season series, and that's one less thing you're going to have to worry about come playoff time because you know you're most likely going to lose the season series against the 76ers. So if you can then win the series against the Toronto Raptors, that would kind of even itself out. So that is huge, 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 huge. And sure, I don't understand why we're talking about tiebreakers in December, but I'm crazy, and I think that every game matters in some weird way, shape, or form. You could be like, oh, games in December don't matter. It's really after the All-Star break. Sure, that's valid. But if you can win a season series against a division rival like the Celtics already have with the New York Knicks, but they don't matter because they're not in the playoffs in any way, shape, or form. But if you can win a season series before January against a team that is going to be in the playoffs in your division, that's huge. Absolutely huge. Speaking of things that are huge, the Toronto Raptors have also come down with the injury bug as well. I swear to God, every team in the NBA has come down with the injury bug, and the Celtics are facing all these teams kind of like 
at the right time. I don't want to see anyone injured, especially a couple of these guys from the Toronto Raptors that are super talented, but they're facing them at the right time. Marcus All, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury. That's huge because we don't know about Ennis Cantor, and I'll talk about that in a second. Then you have Pascal Siakam, their leading scorer. He is out with a groin injury. Siakam should be an all-star this year. If he can come back in a couple of weeks, he 1,000% will be an all-star. He should be an all-star. He's one of the most elite small forward, power forwards, whatever the case you want to call it, in the NBA, 1,000%. Then you have, um, oh my God, what's his first name? I'm having a gigantic, Norman Powell, one of the better guys off the bench in the league. He's going to be out for a little bit with a shoulder injury. And, you know, they were down 30 against the Mavs. They obviously had an insane comeback. They almost lost to the Wizards the other night. So they're still adjusting, losing Gasol and Siakam and Powell. So that's very, very interesting on their end. Even though those guys have been hurt, Kyle Lowry has really been stepping up. I mean, he played over 41 minutes in the Wizards game. He obviously dropped 32 points against the Mavs, which I talked about. He, Kyle Lowry is going to be one of those guys where, like, if the Celtics lose either one of these games, it's going to be because of Kyle Lowry. Because earlier in October, which was actually opening night at TD Garden where the Celtics won, Kyle Lowry hit, like, six threes. And if you listen to this podcast or if you know me at all in any way, shape, or form, you know I strongly dislike Kyle Lowry. Oh my God. I don't get it. I don't, I I don't, I look at him. I go, how are you good at basketball? It just doesn't make sense. Like his body, his face, like all of it. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Here's the negative. They still have Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka, athletic big man. You know, I think Tice can do a pretty good job on him. I don't think Cantor will be able to do a good job on him. That's if we see Ennis Cantor on Christmas day, which again, like I said, I'll talk about that in a little bit. They still have Anobi, who I like. I really like his game. I think he's a really good defender. And then they still have Fred Van Fleet, who's a great backup point guard. You could also say uh, other guard for the Toronto Raptors. He shoots the ball well. He just know he's everything I want Brad Wanamaker to be. Like Brad Wanamaker is like reasonable. I want him to be good, like Fred Van Fleet. And they can contribute on any given night and really Make things uncomfortable for your basketball team. So watch out for Anobi and Van Fleet and Serge Ibaka as well. I'm not really worried about anyone else on the Raptors. So that's why I think these two games, if the Celtics can go balls to the wall this week, because after this week they'll have, you know, they have two days off going into Christmas, and then they have another two days off after this entire week. And then they play the Hornets, the Hawks, and the Bulls, which the Hawks have been a bleep show as of late the bulls aren't anything ideal and you literally have destroyed the hornets twice so get after this week and win these two games so can this be another fire and ice type week i hope so when these two teams played in october jason and jalen scored 25 points each kemba didn't have a great shooting night in october on opening night you know i feel like that 76ers game and that Raptors game to start the season was brutal for him, but he did drop 11 points. The Celtics scored 36 points in the fourth quarter to beat the Raptors, and they just can't rely on that to do that, especially up in Toronto. The Celtics haven't played very well in Toronto in a really, really long time. And this game in October was crazy. You know, there were, what, 12 ties, 19 lead changes, and their biggest lead for either team, was only seven points. So it's going to be a very, very competitive game. And you, you'll you see the good and the bad of the Celtics show up in this game because that's what showed up in October. The good, they forced a lot of turnovers. The bad, they also let the Raptors shoot uh, 50% from three, which is crazy. What's speaking of crazy is Ennis Cantor. Will he make it to Canada? Who knows? Right now, as we all know, with the issues with Ennis Cantor and the Turkish government, he's on a travel band where... He could, if he leaves the country, Turkey could just jump on him and kidnap him, kill him. Maybe not kill him, but the Turkish government hates Enes Kanter, and they would do anything to make his life a living hell. So Enes Kanter did say he's planning on having a conversation with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to see if it is okay to come to the country, if he can get the proper protection, etc., etc. If Kanter does not show up, your backup center is going to be tackle fall which means we could be seeing a lot of international taco fall. And I'm sure for some people that just gives them the the goosebumps, the chills, the mm, love to hear it. It's kind of scary for me. But if Nogasol, Serge Ibaka gets in some foul trouble, you could throw Jason Tatum at the five and you can go really small because I think the Raptors can go really small too. So if Cantor can't play, you're going to either see a lot of taco or you're going to see a lot of small lineups for the Celtics, which I'm kind of excited to see. 
But these two games on Christmas and on Saturday night for the Boston Celtics, I think, are going to be huge, huge, huge. And then finally, they have one other game this week. It's a kind of a weird thing. 4 p.m. at TD Garden on Friday against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's the first night of a back-to-back. It's pretty cool that the Celtics have back-to-back home games. I think it started like two or three years ago. Like last, I think it was Gordon's first year, or was it? Last year, they had like back-to-back home games against the Jazz and the Raptors. I think it was in like November. And I'm, hey, as a season ticket holder, I'm pumped to get to go to back-to-back Celtics games on a Friday and Saturday night. Let's go. Obviously, we really don't have to say a lot about the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, the last time these two, these two teams played, like three weeks ago, I think it was like the first Monday in December. The Celtics won by 22. It's pretty simple with the Cavs. I'm not going to get an in-depth breakdown or preview about this Cavs game, but don't play like a bunch of lazy assholes, and you'll win. If you rebound the ball, get a lot of ball movement, you force turnovers, you take good shots against this Cavs team, they're not going to be able to compete with you. If you can go out and get a strong first quarter, like if you're up 10 at the end of the first quarter, the Cavs are going to give up. They outscored the Cavs in the first quarter 29-18, to 18, and then they won by 22 points. So it just shows right there. If you can have a strong first quarter against them and then not be lazy towards the end of the game, you'll be perfectly fine. But that is it for episode... 61 of the Banner Banter Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever the case may be. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you and your families and your friends have an incredible holiday season. Merry Christmas. I will be doing a podcast uh, next Monday, which would be December 30th, you know, right before the new year. So I'm not going to wish you a happy new year, but thanks so much for listening. Hope you get everything you want for Christmas which to me is just some Boston Celtics basketball wins. And that's that. Thanks so much for listening again. Merry Christmas again. And yeah, that's it. I'm going to stop recording now. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life to the Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night. Good night.